They're good, right? Oh, they're, I have so many. Oh, oh man, don't touch that. You're not going to want to what you real, when you realize what I'm analogying it for. Well, good morning. I have some marshmallows here this morning that, man, they're a little tempting, aren't they? And man, they are just right in front of you. And this isn't a very big sanctuary. You could probably just reach out and take a handful, right? They're good. And I would say that this morning, as we start again on who told you that, uh, this lie that we're going to deal with is a lot like these marshmallows. They are spongy and wonderful. Uh, This lie is something that maybe just really satisfies you in the moment and is really good, you know, and it would hold you over until tomorrow when you got the real chocolate you desire, right? And so this morning, uh, we're going to kick off with another lie. We have been in this series, Who Told You That? And this morning, we're probably not going to have notes on the screen, and we're going to be okay with that, right? Fair enough? Fair enough, tech team? (laughs) Okay. Um, So this lie is very spongy, it is very in front of you, it seems really true, really sweet, and I could probably just have it within my grasp if I wanted to. This morning's lie is just follow your heart. (laughs) Just follow your heart. This series we have been looking at lies that we tell ourselves and maybe we tell other people within our Christian circles. Things that sound really, really good. But when we hold up to scripture, they're not the case, and they are not true. And this morning, we're going to look at just follow your heart. And I would say that at the bottom of almost every lie that you believe is this marshmallow. Uh, Just follow your heart. If it feels right, then it must be okay. And let me tell you what, that couldn't be further from the truth. Uh, that couldn't be further from the truth. And we, look, we see this all throughout Scripture, that it couldn't be further from the truth. Just follow your heart is like a subtle lie that is wonderful, but man, it's just not true. Do we have my video? Yeah. Let's go with it. Let's do that. Sit in that chair. All right, here's the deal. Marshmallow, for you. You can either wait, and I'll give you another one if you wait, or you can eat it now. When I come back, I'll give you another one, so then you'll have two. But stay in here and stay in the chair till I come back, okay? All right. Leave and then I'll come back, okay? 
So you can either eat it right now or you can wait. Either way, okay? Okay. How'd you do? Did you do good? You did? Yeah. You wanted to eat it, didn't you? Yeah. So did I tell you to give you another one? Okay, now you can have both. You need them. <laughs> so just like a marshmallow, this lie is so close and it is right in front of your face. And it is so real and you just want to reach out and grab it a lot of times. Just follow your heart. It is not only great and wonderful, but man, it just satisfies you really quickly, doesn't it? And this lie is very subtle. Um, it has been a part of our culture for a long time, and it still is. Uh, just follow your heart and do what you think you think is right. Uh, I was reading a recent statistic that said that 31% of Americans base every decision in their life based on what feels good in the current moment. Yikes. <laughs> and I, I think that this thinking has brought into the church as well. Uh, we want to be a part of a church, don't we? But the second that, man, like a church sometimes convicts you, and that doesn't feel good. And when that happens, we kind of disconnect and say, oh, I just don't feel like I should be there anymore. And this, this precedence of feelings, it goes around all of our culture, and I get it, it's a beautiful sentiment. It's something that would make a nice crocheted pillow on your couch, maybe. You know, it might be a really great, tasteful back piece tattoo. Just follow your heart. Uh, but the realities of just following your heart are really ugly if we look at it. Because what do you think a two-year-old who is throwing a temper tantrum is doing? <laughs> following their heart. Uh, what do you think your teenager is doing when they are rebelling against you? They're following their heart. You know, what do you think the guy that is cheating on their spouse is doing? He's following his heart. What do you think the woman that's buried in debt is doing? They're following their heart. And Satan would love nothing more for than you to follow your heart because he knows exactly where it's going to lead you. And so today we're going to look at this lie, and I want to expose this lie using Scripture. And we're going to be kind of everywhere today, Old Testament, New Testament, everything in between. We're going to expose it, and we're going to retire this lie together. So today we're going to start in Jeremiah 17. And we find Jeremiah prophesying to the nation of Judah. And the nation of Judah found themselves in a place where they were following their own hearts, where they decided that their own methods, that their own motives, that their own plans were better than God's. And in Jeremiah 17, verse 1, it says, The sin of Judah is inscribed with an iron chisel. It is engraved with a diamond point on their stony hearts and on the corners of their altars. And this is an incredible picture, because when you ingrain something, it is permanent. Like You're not taking that away. And so it says that it is engraved on their stony hearts, meaning that the sin nature is engraved in humanity. When we look at Genesis 3, when sin entered into the world, sin became, became a reality that we all had to deal with. And then it says in verse 9, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately, say that with me, wicked. 
Who really knows how bad it is? Well, there's your encouraging word for this morning, right? (laughs) Um, You're never going to see that one stitched on a pillow. (laughs) That the human heart is desperately wicked. And if you have your Bibles with you, I'd love for you to underline that, highlight it, put a sticky note maybe, because that is key, that your heart and my heart, left to its own devices and in its natural state, is trouble. Uh, your heart and my heart, that word that he used for wicked could actually be translated as ill. It is weak and sick and diseased. And what Jeremiah is saying to the nation of Judah is not only don't follow your hearts, he's saying don't do it because of the state that your heart is in. And so what he says is do not follow what has been chiseled into your heart even though your heart is so real and so accessible and right in front of your face, even though another marshmallow might just be around the other corner. Don't do it. And we look at our world and the results are devastating. You know, following your heart attributes to the global financial crisis. Uh, It attributes to the rising divorce statistics. It attributes to families being torn apart. Following your heart, we see in manipulation and betrayal. We see it in hurt and frustrations. And let me tell you what, a lot of your frustrations with life, they come from one person deciding that they're going to follow their heart instead of doing what God says to do. Following your heart is devastating our world. And every single week, I find myself in a different conversation where somebody will say to me, Lindsay, I know I'm supposed to do that, but it feels bad. You know, uh, Lindsay, I I get it. I'm supposed to do that, but like, I don't feel like it. And scripture talks about this in Proverbs 14. It says, there is a path before each person that seems right, but it ends in death. In life, the path that more often than not will seem really, really right to you is the one that your own heart produces, one that your own motives and your own methods produce. And it will seem right. But let me tell you something, nobody has ever been fulfilled by following their own heart. Because at the end of the day, money runs out. Your waistline increases. People get hurt. And reality sets in. And following your own heart leads to an empty life. And so let's define our terms. The biblical language here for heart is defined as the center of the human spirit, from which spring all emotions, thoughts, motivations, courage, and action. That seems like a pretty crucial point to my existence, doesn't it? And so if this is such a center and crucial point to my existence, we have to ask a pretty difficult question. What is the condition of your heart? What is the condition of your motives and your emotions and your thoughts and your courage? What is your heart producing? And this morning we're going to look at three ways that Scripture teaches us to pray for our hearts. And my hope is that as we look through these three different prayers, that you might find yourself resonating with like one or two or maybe all three, and that they would lead you to a better understanding of what the condition of your heart is. So the first prayer that we're going to look at is, Lord, replace my heart. Jesus, replace my heart. And I have 
Um, I had a notion this, this week as I was writing this that we have quite a few handy people in our church represented. Like, if you've ever fixed something in your life, raise your hand. Okay? A lot of people. Um, anybody go on YouTube and, like, look at tutorials to fix things? Yeah? Absolutely. Uh, my dad has become quite lazy, so when I call him and say, hey, something's broke, how do I fix it? He says, jump on YouTube. And, and I don't know how to do that. But uh, everywhere, like, we, we have something that's broken and we fix it. Uh, we, our hairdryer bus, we just, you know, get by. Hopefully we don't electrocute ourselves. You know, we have our car that breaks down and we Google the heck out of that car, right? And sometimes that's really good. And other times it requires something that I like to call um, silver redemption in the form of maybe some duct tape. <laughs> right? Silver redemption. I have a couple pictures of what this could look like. Yeah. <laughs> Luckily, that car is really close to duct tape color, right? And it looks almost good. This one, who needs a spare tire? You have duct tape. I would not want to jump on the interstate with that, right? And then this last one, that is a propeller on an airplane. <laughs> like, how many of you would run the other direction if that was happening on your plane? And sometimes this works, and other times, silver redemption does not work. <laughs> And these are ridiculous, and we would never do them. But man, I think we do them to our hearts all the time. You know, we have stress at work, and we don't feel fulfilled. So we get the duct tape out, and we gossip about our coworkers, and we feel better. You know, we go through a difficult time, and we get the duct tape out, and maybe it manifests itself in, like, uh, getting attention from somebody. And we duct tape it. You know, our hearts hurt because we experience difficulty, and maybe we experience difficulty in our marriage, and we get the duct tape out, maybe in the form of pornography or adultery, and we duct tape our hearts together, and you find yourself duct taping and, and going and doing these things when you later, before, you probably would look at those methods and say, that's ridiculous. And now they have formed into a reality of your life, or you are driving on the interstate with a duct tape spare tire. And one of the best examples of this in scripture is Solomon. He was arguably the wisest person and king that ever lived. God came to Solomon and he said, Solomon, I will give you anything. What would you like? And Solomon wanted wisdom. And God says, not only will I give you wisdom, Solomon, I'm going to bless you across the board. So not only was he incredibly smart, he had kingdoms and servants and women and food. And try to imagine this. He ran out of fantasies. Because everything that he had was at his grasp. And in Ecclesiastes 2, we read Solomon saying what the state of his heart really is. Ecclesiastes 2.9, it says, I became greater than all who lived in Jerusalem before me. My wisdom never failed me. Anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. See, he ran out of fantasies because if he needed something, it was there. I, I even found great pleasure in hard work, a reward for my labors. But as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all meaningless, like chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. See, it doesn't matter what kind of duct tape you use, 
Now, at the end of the day, duct tape is duct tape. <laughs> and, and that side of the car, no matter how much we wish it to be, it is not that side of the car. And, and Solomon found this. He would have wild parties and material things and wealth and knowledge and attention. And at the end of his life, he says, there was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. Judah Smith, he's a preacher up in Oregon, and he, he speaks about this, and this quote wrecked me this week. It says, living by feelings is a fundamentally dehumanizing existence. It reduces you to an animal responding to the world around you. It reduces us to just respond to the things that we feel. And as I wrote this sermon looking at my fluffy cat on the couch, who's not living for Jesus by any means, <laughs> I have to wonder, is my life turning into that? Or I am just responding to what is in front of me. This morning I came home and Elizabeth was putting some chicken in the slow cooker and my cat is laying on her back looking as cute as possible trying to get some chicken. And I think sometimes we do that. Uh, we see what's in front of us, we see and we feel our heart and we flop over <laughs> and we respond accordingly. And Solomon, who had responded to every desire that was in his heart, says there was nothing worthwhile anywhere. See, God made you wonderfully complex. He made you with purpose and with meaning and with calling. And that's because God wants to give you a new heart. He does not want to just duct tape it in hopes that it's going to make it. Uh, scripture says that he wants to actually do a heart transplant. Ezekiel 36, 24, it says, For I will gather you up from all the nations and bring you home again to your land. In other words, after you have tried your hardest, you know, after you have gone to the things that the world has to offer, after you have tried your best to be better, after you have run out of duct tape, I want to give you a new heart. It says in verse 25, Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away, and you will no longer worship idols. And I will give you a new heart. And I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. Other versions, they say, I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh one that beats and thrives and seeks out God, and that is what God's promising you, uh, that, that you will have a new heart, one that longs to be the person that God has created you to be, not one that is duct taped together, stumbling over the finish line. And so this morning, maybe that's the prayer that you find yourself needing to pray. Lord, give me a new heart. Maybe I have followed you for years and I've never prayed that prayer. Maybe I have only followed you for a short amount of time, and I need to have a heart that looks like yours. Maybe you find yourself in the second prayer. Lord, focus my heart. Some of us have prayed that prayer before, of Lord, give me a new heart, give me new motives, give me new courage, give me new feelings. Uh, but this one, maybe you have gotten a little sidetracked in life. Maybe from decisions that you've made or circumstances of your life. They have sidetracked you. Hebrews 12, it talks about this. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, 
Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Catch this. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And I want to lock on to those two words, consider him. In this verse, it says, consider Jesus. And I, I think the problem is, is that we don't. Uh, we consider how it feels. Uh, we consider what our hearts are telling us. We consider how it's going to affect our lives. And we lose focus on Christ. We lose focus because we focus on the immediate. And the promise that is attached to this is that if you consider him who endured such opposition, you will not grow weary and lose heart. Listen, you cannot live for Christ and still be concerned with your own motives. You cannot live to be like Jesus' heart and still be focused on your own. And listen, Jesus was mocked. He was brought to this earth just to die for you. He was spit on. He was beaten. Like, we just left Easter. He was brutally torn apart. He, he was nailed to the cross. And this scripture says, for the joy set before him. Christ's priorities are certainly different than mine. When I read that scripture, I don't think, man, crucifixion sounds joyous. Jesus' priorities are certainly different than mine, and God is calling for you to live with his focus, with his purpose, with his motives, to realize that it's not all about us, to say that my life is not just about my current circumstance. Uh, it's not about my personal happiness, and there's a sobering reality I think we all have to deal with, is that God doesn't make decisions just for you to be happy. Like, and how terrifying would that be? You know, I don't think that he looks at my life and says, oh man, I wonder if this would make Lindsay really happy. See, don't hear, listen, there, there is a difference between fulfillment and feelings. Uh, all the time in scripture, we see that there is fulfillment in our life from Jesus. But fulfillment and feelings are very different. Fulfillment endures trials. Fulfillment finds joy when things look terrifying. Fulfillment is different than my current circumstance. But when we find ourselves relying on feelings, uh, things happen to us. Like we, we, we lose focus. You know, when, when your finances get messed up, you stop giving. Because, man, it's all about me. You know, when you are in a place where your, or your family's not good, you may get angry with God and start to think that he doesn't exist and push yourself away from him. Because, man, it's all about me. You know, you lose somebody close to you, and maybe you stop having a relationship with Jesus because it is all about me. Your marriage, it gets tough. And you get a divorce. Because, man, it's all about me. And I think many of us find ourselves in a bored life where we are feeling unfulfilled and boredom has become just a reality that we live in. 
Let me tell you what, you did not get bored seeking after the heart of God. You got bored seeking after your own heart, your own desires. And so maybe you need to pray that that prayer this morning. Lord, I need your focus again. You know, the decisions that I've made, the circumstances of my life, my life is not pointed towards you anymore. My heart does not care about the things that you care about anymore. Lord, you have given me a new heart. Help me to focus it again. And then that leads us to the last prayer, and this is the most dangerous prayer we can pray of these three, is Lord, break my heart. God, help me to see the world how you see the world. Help me to hear people how you hear people. Lord, help me to not just see the busyness of life, but help me to see the souls that you want to experience and be closer to. One, the perfect example of this in Scripture is Stephen. Uh, Stephen was the first martyr of Jesus, and he was killed for his beliefs and what he said about Jesus Christ. Uh, in Acts chapter 8, we read about this, and, and it says that after Stephen had finished talking with people about Jesus, after he had convicted them about Christ, they got so upset with them that Scripture says that they put their hands over their ears, and they just started to scream. This was a Middle Eastern temper tantrum. And they began throwing rocks at Stephen, aiming to take his life. And then we read what happens in Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 59. It says, As they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees, shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. Where have we heard that prayer before? We heard it on the cross coming from our Savior saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Stephen was so broken for the things that break God's heart that as he was dying, he prayed the same exact prayer that Jesus prayed. And this become, makes Matthew 12, 31 very haunting. Jesus says, For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And there is no question what Stephen's heart was full of. My question is, what is your heart full of? What do you say about your neighbors? Uh, what, start, what, are you, what are you speaking about your family and your friends and your coworkers? Because that shows the condition of our hearts. You know, and a lot of times we have really difficult people in our world. And let me tell you what, the best way to make it easier to deal with them is for your heart to be broken for them. Is that instead of looking at the monster before you, when your heart is broken for them the way that God sees them, you see a person You see somebody that has a duct-taped heart, someone that is trying desperately to make sense of this world. Who does your heart need to break for? It's difficult. We talk about forgiveness a lot, and yet we cannot begin to forgive until we have broken our hearts for them. There's no question who Stephen's heart was broken for. It was broken for the people that were going to kill him. 
Who does your heart break for? So I want to enter into a time of prayer. And I want to ask you, like, do you need to pray one of these prayers? Lord Jesus, replace my heart. Lord, focus my heart. God, would you break my heart again? So if you'd bow your heads, I want to pray with you. Lord, in a lot of ways, the condition of our hearts are our own doing. Lord, that that we have believed our own motives. We have believed our own courage. We have trusted that the marshmallow in front of us is what is right. God, but but your word says that, that you examine our hearts. Lord, and that you know the path of everlasting, eternal life. God, for those of us that need to pray, Lord, replace my heart. God, replace my motives. God, replace those hard things that are in my heart. Lord, I pray that you would do that. I pray that you would come into our hearts and that you would do that heart transplant inside of us. God, for those of us that have been given a new heart and we have lost our focus, whether it's by our doing or the doing of others, Lord Jesus, we want to be focused on you again. God, I pray that when we have times uh, by ourselves in the word, Lord, that you would focus our hearts anew. Jesus, and for those of us that need to say, Lord, break my heart for what breaks yours. God, break my heart for the person that I cannot seem to stand. Lord, break my heart for the person that is aiming to take my life. Lord, break my heart for the people that that you love incredibly. Lord, I pray that you would bring those people to mind. God, your word says that you will teach us how to pray. It says that you will intercede with for us when we are not capable. God, would you teach us how to pray? Would you teach us how to have broken hearts for those around us? Lord, that we might live like you lived. And that we might speak how you speak. Lord Jesus, we love you so much and we thank you that you are a God that gives us a responsive heart again. Lord, we thank you that you are a God that's not just uh, leading robots. A God that you are our leading people that are incredibly complex, that are wonderfully made, Lord, and that are declared perfect in your eyes. Jesus, we love you so much. Amen.